Ever imagine you could be mentored and guided by some of the most influential leaders in business? That's where 40 Minute Mentor comes in. I'm passionate about making business mentorship accessible to everyone. So whether you're just beginning your career or you're looking for advice in taking the leap and starting a new venture, or perhaps you're scaling a rocket ship, this show is designed to cover everything from the ground up in the next 40 minutes. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm James Mitra, the founder of JBM. At JBM, we are always looking to give back to our community and we love bringing together experts to talk about the most important topics that are keeping our clients awake at night. And that's why we're here today. The COVID-19 pandemic has affected every aspect of our lives. And while we're looking forward to returning to some form of normality at some point this year, when it comes to work, I think it's safe to say that it's never gonna quite be the same as it was before. So, to discuss the impact the pandemic has had on the way that we work, how we can foster collaboration remotely, and what a redesigned workplace model will look like in a post-COVID world, I'm joined by Nikki Lynch and Joanne Thompson from the fantastic management consultancy Spring, and Roger Hassan, COO at Tier Mobility, one of the most exciting scale-ups in Europe. So thank you so much for joining us today, guys. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. And before we jump into the first question, it would be fab if you could give us a brief introduction and tell us a bit about your background and current role. Uh, I'm going to start with Nikki. Thanks, James. It's wonderful to be here with, with you and Joe and, and Roger. So my background is a mixture of uh, management consulting at Bain and then transitioned into various leadership roles in startups and scale-ups in the UK. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about Spring quickly as well. So so Spring is a a London-based strategy consultancy that's been purpose-built to support startups, scale-ups and disruptors. So we help purpose-driven leaders across all sectors tackle the challenges that come with high growth. Joe and myself founded Spring last year after 20 years of of working both as as leaders of of tech startups, as I said, as CEOs, where we really experienced firsthand a gap in the market for this type of support and before that as consultants at Bain. And we're both really passionate about helping startups and scale-ups think more intentionally about operating model and about organizational design and ensuring that their ability to execute actually becomes a competitive advantage rather than something that's holding them back and fantastic thank you and joe do you mind giving a brief background to you yeah of course so nothing else to add on spring i think nikki gave a great overview there in terms of my background i met nikki when i worked at bain and company as a management consultant working with large FTSE 100 companies on everything from strategic to operating model challenges and since then have gone on to work in tech with fast growth companies and have worked with everybody from large PE-backed companies all the way through to being the founder of my own seed stage marketplace. Fantastic. Thank you. And last but not least, Roger, over to you. Hi there. So I'm Roger, the COO of Tier Mobility. Um, Tier was founded around about two and a half years ago. To begin with, we were a, a scooter business, so we were renting scooters in a few European cities and very quickly realized that you know, if we were really going to achieve our mission of changing mobility for good, um, that we were going to have to think about the game in a slightly bigger, broader way than a lot of the uh, scooter operators were doing at that point in time. And we broadened our scope and we're now in a position where we're the largest micro-mobility operator in Europe currently in around 100 cities across Europe and the Middle East. And we've expanded our offering, not just with scooters, but with e-mopeds, e-bikes, and now looking at new modalities across a number of different dimensions to really try and change the way people move in the urban setting. 
Fantastic. Thank you all very much. Well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, this discussion. I think we should get into it. So starting with Nikki and Joe, I, I guess we're keen to start with you guys. Um, COVID has had this profound impact on businesses of all different shapes and sizes and is, uh, has definitely changed the world of work. So, so what do you think are the most important future of work trends that you're seeing leadership teams grapple with in their organizations? Yeah, I think the future of work was already a, a pretty hot topic kind of pre-COVID. Of course, you know, the shift to remote working and work from home over the last 12 months is, is the most obvious and I guess dramatic trend. But I'll just touch on a couple of others that we've seen in kind of the broader world of work first and then, and then we'll come back to that. So I guess the first thing that we've really witnessed over the last couple of years is the changing expectations of the workforce. So largely driven by the changing demographics and attitudes of employees that are entering the workplace over the last kind of 10 years, millennials and Gen Z, they're really pushing for more from their employers and their expectations around you know, how employees prioritise their well-being and their welfare is definitely something that we we didn't see kind of exist historically. And on the flip side of that, we've actually had to see the role of the employer change. So the rise of the employer almost as a kind of social safety net for employees. And actually, before the pandemic, nearly 70% of people globally said that a company's wellness scheme was actually a really big factor in accepting a job offer. And now these initiatives are more important than ever. And I actually think that, that, I mean, Roger, we'd love to hear your point of view on this in a moment, but particularly kind of startups and scale-ups have really embraced that. And they're really rising to the challenge and putting in place those support networks. And we think it, you know, it has a massive payback in terms of things like employee retention. But generally, kind of the biggest shift that we've seen in the last couple of years is, is how we work. So the rise of the gig economy, greater use of contingent workers, the hiring of skills rather than roles, and just generally kind of a shift to much more flexible models. So giving employees much more choice on when and how and where they do their best work. And I guess that where has been the thing that's changed the most over the last 12 months. By far and away, the most kind of dramatic trend that we've seen is, is the shift to, to remote work, particularly in terms of how quickly it's happened, you know, clearly driven by the circumstances of the pandemic. And, you know, what would normally take months or years is actually, you know, the changes happening in kind of days and weeks over the course of last year. And actually, it's been really interesting to see companies, you know, maybe bigger companies and corporates that once really resisted remote and flexible working have been forced to make it a reality. And other companies have actually kind of really jumped on it as a, as a really unique opportunity. And I think there are lots of challenges that come with trying to grapple with remote working. And um, we have experienced one ourselves as we've tried to get on this podcast, um, this webinar, which is technology and making that work for you consistently. Um, but also, you know, things around how you maintain productivity of your teams, you know, how you deal with the really difficult and important challenge around employee well-being and particularly in kind of the current mental health crisis that we live in and, and, and the really difficult and uncertain circumstances. But I also think there's some, some real opportunities and we'd love to chat a little bit about, I guess, both today. I think for us, this is a real opportunity for leaders to make kind of dramatic improvements to how they attract and retain talent. And obviously one of the most important assets for any business, you know, particularly startups and scale-ups is talent. And we think that the shift, this full shift to remote working, really looking forward is an opportunity to attract previously unreachable new talent pools. And we know we don't have enough tech talent here in the UK for our for our kind of startup ecosystem, particularly in roles like engineering and, and products. And actually, 
research is showing that more than 50% of fintechs, for example, are already employing people who aren't UK nationals. And actually, that was going to be an increasingly complex issue to navigate, you know, with things like Brexit. But actually, you know, physical proximity is no longer a prerequisite for, for, for how we work, then massively opens up companies to new talent pools. And we think that that is an awesome opportunity for employers, but we also think it's an awesome opportunity for employees. And we think there's real potential future social mobility benefits from this kind of talent strategy. You know, people from all over the UK and, and further afield really being able to apply for jobs that wouldn't have been within reach before. Yeah. And then I guess on the flip side of that, kind of retaining talent, I don't know if, you know, I think there's an opportunity really here to design much more flexible first cultures that we know employees really love and really thrive in. Um, And we think that companies can kind of make the most of of both sets of opportunities. Absolutely. I mean, I think the point around where people work is often the one that gets the most focus. I think, you know, as Nikki rightly mentioned, it's only one dimension of the overall challenge that that we're facing now. But I mean, for us as a business, the where question has always been an interesting one because we're a multinational business anyway. So we we operate in a in a number of markets across Europe. We have a headquarters in Berlin, but also in London, and we operate in all of the major cities that you can think of in Europe, pretty much. So we've had a very distributed team since day one, and personally, that's you know just been the way I've I've worked pretty much my entire career. I mean, I've been a pretty nomadic the entire time I've been working, pretty much. I don't think I've ever actually had my own desk in a in a specific space in an office where I've said that's where I, you know, that's where I work. So, you know, I think in, in a lot of different businesses, particularly in things like supply chain operations businesses, like it's almost second nature to be in a position where you're used to dealing with distributed workforce. What's slightly different about this challenge though is that it's caused a difference um, in overall thinking with the way that you tackle the entirety of your business. So at one point, you know, if you had, you know, the opportunity to you know, have a remote team when you set up a new part of the world or a new a new market that you're exploring, you would basically do a carbon copy of your corporate office and you would put another office in another city or you would set up a similar hierarchy that, that established a mirror image of what you've done in another market. Um, and now all of that, all of that's gone. Like you don't actually have to stick to any of those boundaries anymore. And the point about being able to hire across boundaries, hire outside of particular cities, attract talent in a much broader dimension is to me a massive one. I mean, we just added to our C-level team, we just uh, hired a chief policy officer who's New York based. And, you know, two years ago, we would never have done that if we weren't in a position where we were thinking about launching the US, you know, we would, we'd, we'd have been thinking, well, maybe if we had a corporate office in New York, we'd think about making that higher. But instead, we went out and we found the best talent that we could in all of the markets that were available to us. And him joining the team now is, is an absolute game changer for us, which wouldn't have been really on our agenda at all if it wasn't for, for COVID. So I think the, the sort of, you know, breaking down of, of geographical boundaries in, in talent acquisition is a massive opportunity. The next one in terms of um, the point that you mentioned about wellness and sort of benefit packages and, and trying to make sure that people feel cared for in the, the working environment. I think that is a huge one. And I think, again, previously, one of the things that happened very easily, and we'll, I think we'll come on to this a little bit in a bit more detail in the next question, is that, you know, 
benefits could be woven into the workplace fabric of, of where people went, right? So, you know, you could offer people, you know, a yoga class at the end of at the end of the day, right? And you could offer people movie nights on a Friday and you could offer people, you know, opportunities to bond socially and to feel part of something special in a physical environment, which usually revolved around the office space. And now that that's gone, you know, people are thinking in a very, very different way about what they can have as part of their business life that makes them feel cared for and makes them feel looked after by their employer. So that opens up a whole new set of questions about how do you do that in a remote setting? How do you tailor your benefit package to not only make sure that your um, employees feel cared for, but that they they can feel it even though they're not in front of them, even though they're not in an office, even though they're not in a place of work where they can bond with their colleagues. So I think that to me is always, you know, completely aside from where you work is a massive is a massive consideration. Yeah, thank you, Roger. The really, really good point. And, and it brings us on nicely to, to the next question. The, the media has painted quite a, a mixed picture as to whether or not employees and employers have benefited or suffered from this switch to remote working. And all of us have experienced uh, probably both pros and cons to it. Roger, what do you think the main impacts have been in terms of individuals and businesses? Um, would love your, your opinion on that. Yeah, I think the one that's really kept me awake the most is, isn't is bizarrely the, the big questions of, you know, how do we scale our office environment or how do we, you know, make sure the tech is in the right place to make sure that people can actually be on video calls when they need to be. The biggest concern for me has been spontaneous contact, right, has been the the ability to foster the kind of relationships that just happen in a face-to-face um, setting. And that doesn't even necessarily have to be in an office or, you know, in a shared workspace. I mean, most of the work that I do is, is actually spent in industrial estates and going to warehouses and, you know, actually seeing our operations on the ground. But doing that and actually speaking to people and and, and actually seeing them in real life in a physical space just fosters the kind of contact and the kind of spontaneous conversation that you simply, you know, just can't do on on a scheduled Zoom call or on a on a hangout. So, you know, trying to reignite that sense of spontaneous, you know, spontaneous interaction to me is is one of the most challenging aspects of what's happening now. And you know, there there are a number of coping strategies that we've deployed at Tia and that I think have worked in in various degrees of success. The obvious ones are, you know, do the analog digitally. So, you know, try and have coffee breaks and 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 you know beer nights on zoom right so you can actually just all sit and talk um and shoot the breeze which only works to an extent i mean it's it's an obvious one and everybody's trying to do it but you know it is possible to do the analog digitally in some some senses but i think more more importantly is how you weave it into the sort of day-to-day stuff so you know every now and then you know we make a point of ditching the agenda on meetings right we'll just like and not necessarily announce it up front but just like halfway through a meeting say right close your books, forget the agenda. How's everybody feeling? Or just like start a meeting with an intended purpose and then just ditch the purpose and just see what happens in order to just try and get people to feel like, you know, they're not just there for the scheduled discussion. They're there because actually we want to talk to you and I want to be in your company and I want to share some time with you. So ditch the agenda has been a, a has been a really important one. And just picking up the phone. That's the that's the other really interesting coping mechanism. The number of times where, you know, I've I've always felt that I've got some of the best out of some of, you know, the meetings that I have, not in the meeting, but directly after the meeting, when, you know, a certain number of people will sort of drift off and there might be one or two people left behind and you're still finishing off your coffee and you have a general chit chat about something and suddenly you get an insight that you didn't get in the hour that you were sat around the table. You can sort of achieve that after a Zoom call if you just call someone. 
You know, you just somebody that you heard say something that was really interesting or that you maybe didn't feel that you spoke to enough in the meeting, just pick up the phone and call them and just say, hey, I just thought, you know, how did that go for you? Did it feel good? Did it feel bad? Did, you know, just like those random points of contact to try and ignite something that isn't scheduled and, and regimented, I think is super important. But to me, that sense of spontaneity is, is really essential to try and ignite in the, in the remote workplace. And it takes some intention to get it right. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think I've found with my own team, some of the most meaningful and most important interactions have come from walking and talking, literally just not face-to-face over Zoom, but just walking around the garden on the phone, just chatting. And um, yeah, that's that that has been lost somewhat by this the Zoom culture we're now in. Joe, I'd, I'd love your take on if there are any quick wins for any leaders that might be listening to this, whose remote teams might be flagging, losing motivation, uh, you know, as this lockdown continues. Yeah, definitely, James. I think, first of all, the biggest fatigue and flagging that I'm definitely seeing with everybody that we're working with is this huge Zoom fatigue. You know, it's lockdown three. We've been using this now socially and for work for almost a year and people are just getting tired. And the advice that we always give to people when we talk about this is that in order to be successful and communicating in this world where you can't necessarily have the spontaneity that you wanted to before, it's about really being precise and disciplined in both what we're communicating with our teams, but how we're doing it. So we encourage people to really think about and define the way they work. So firstly, look at the different ways that you communicate and the different in terms of what needs to be on Zoom. I think to begin with, we just took everything that happened and we shoved it onto Zoom. And we said, we'll now make everything a video conference. But actually have a think about it, right? What needs to be Zoom? What needs to be a phone call? What can be an instant message? What can be an email? So really think about how you communicate. And then when you've got that different type of communication, then go out there and really think about the tools that you can use. We just went on to Zoom, but actually over the last year, we have just seen a barrage of amazing new platforms really come to the market and be designed to really aid us in what we're doing. So thinking about, okay, if we do need to have a workshop virtually, let's not use Zoom. Let's look at Whimsical. Let's look at Miro. And I think just doing that simple thing of both being deliberate in the what you're doing in terms of is it Zoom or phone call and then the platform you're using could just really change the productivity and the dynamic of the meeting and bring that new aspect that I think we all crave after a year of a Zoom meeting over and over again. Yeah, that's that's great advice, Joe. And, and it kind of wanted to move on to something that Roger talked about around, because um, I think a lot of leaders listening to this will be wrestling with this. How can you maintain? You may have worked incredibly hard to create this incredible culture, but now are in this point where everything's been flipped on its head. How do you maintain? How do you build upon that in a remote first world? Roger, you talked about the, the water cooler moments, which I think are, are, have been somewhat lost. So how can you further foster collaboration, create those more informal meetings? You've, you've kind of alluded to some of it, but I would love any other ideas you have for anyone that's listening that needs a bit of added inspiration. Yeah, I think I'm more of a beer tap moment than a water cooler moment. <laughs> me too. But yeah, I think, like I said, the key for me is is being intentional about it. You know, it's it's actually taking the time to think carefully about what you really want to achieve from the interactions that you're having with your team. And that intention didn't need to exist as much before because, you know, everything happened so naturally. Um, And just throwing people into a space 
as long as you'd spent time and energy on, you know, the cultural dimensions of, you know, hiring the right people, which is half the battle. But if you'd, if you'd got a bunch of, you know, like-minded mission-driven people and threw them into the space, you were going to get something special, right? Something was going to happen. And having spent the last 10 years or so in, in startups of varying sizes, you know, one thing I've seen is that more than the remuneration package that you offer, the benefit package that you offer, the sense of impressive scale or who's backed you or what VCs are, uh, are on the cap table, you know, people really get behind why you're doing what you're doing. And now more than ever, your mission needs to come out and you know, your mission needs to be central to the way you're driving your organization because that is what's going to bring people you know, to want to communicate well with one another. And you know, if I think about all of the other um, ventures that I've, that I've been in, invested in, been part of, you know, one of the coolest moments was always those spontaneous Thursday night beers in the office that you know, happened at sort of eight, nine o'clock at night when everybody was staying late anyway. And that, that sense of camaraderie that came from doing that together you know, is priceless. It's worth more than any sort of benefit package that can be offered. So, so then the question is, how do you replicate that? Right? How do you how do you create that sense of togetherness? Now, I touched on before that you know, doing the analog digitally, and I think there's there's yes, there's the whole thing about you know being able to set up you know coffee chats and beer evenings and whatever, which you just do in your front room via Zoom. But I think there's there's also more that we can do with that. So. We very early on switched all of our all hands meetings. So we used to have our all hands monthly and our all hands was a um, sort of Berlin centric event, which was then beamed out to the rest of the world. And very quickly, we we sort of realized, yeah, that's okay when each of the different parts of the organization are sitting in their own sort of office and in their own sort of regional environment. But when that stops being the case and when actually everybody is remote, that doesn't that doesn't wash anymore. Uh, and you need to be much more focused on what it is you're putting across to people. And the frequency needs to be different because you don't have those interactions. So we switched it to fortnightly. So now we communicate to the entire organizations. We have a 450-person Zoom call you know, on a um, Wednesday every second week. And the content and the people that present, you know, it's no longer a, you know, a head office presentation. It's a, you know, let's go around the world and see what people are doing. And people will present you know, the, the the most recent project they've been working on, the, the you know, the latest challenge that they faced, things that have been keeping them awake at night, you know, it, it's a much more fluid, much more open setting, which allows people to communicate in a, in a, in a, in a very different way to the sort of previous sort of jazz hands. Here is a very polished, very centrally orientated presentation. And I think that that permeates through every single one of the, the interactions that we're, we're now having. And I think the point about you know, do you need to have it on a Zoom call is a really important one. Like, are there are there more intelligent ways that you can make the communication happen? Yeah, I, I love that, Roger. And it actually makes me think of another scale-up client that uh, I spoke with the other day. He's actually found that productivity and collaboration has gone up considerably in the lockdown. And he believed that the founder, part of the reason he felt that was, was because he'd be, he was giving more people were having more of a voice. They were, they were empowering each other. They were getting visibility that they never had had before, which was really fascinating. And yeah, so I can see that, that there's many, many benefits from that. This episode is brought to you by JBM SOS, a new on-demand talent solution for VC and P backed startups and scale-ups. SOS gives clients access to a pool of over 200 high-profile scale-up COOs, GMs, and ops strategy consultants on an interim or project basis. 
So if you're a founder or investor looking for fast access to world-class talent to help you execute and scale at pace, let our JBM SOS team be your partner in growth. To learn more, get in touch at info at jbmc.co.uk. One thing we haven't necessarily touched upon is was what I read somewhere depressingly as the tsunami of mental health sort of challenges that, that could come off the back of COVID-19. I just wondered if any of you had any sort of take on this, because it's something that is definitely keeping me up as a founder with a with a with a young team that are have never been through this situation before and somebody myself that uh, you know is is juggling lots of different different plates and not always keeping them going so would love your opinions on on how you're managing that within your own businesses and 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 Nikki and and Joe how you're working with clients on that sort of topic yeah absolutely i think you know there is no one answer to this and i think it really does depend a little bit on you know knowing your team and and what is what's going to work for them and you know what things you know might be easy and, and difficult for them or what they're struggling with but there's definitely kind of i guess some general rules of thumb that we'd say you know it's great leadership practice um, to help teams thrive in, in in uncertain times and difficult situations and i guess there's kind of a couple of those so i guess the first one will be over communicate you know make yourself as a leader available way more than maybe you would have done when you kind of lock yourself in meetings in the office you know things like you've already talked about Roger like really regular all hands survey your team listen well you know listening well is like a real skill and and again something maybe that when we were rushing around we didn't do as, as well as we could so I think the second really is around transparency and again as leaders I think admitting that we don't actually have all of the answers you know not shielding your team from the truth you know being really open honest kind of authentic sharing your own challenges I think this is a really good opportunity to to build those connections even if they are over zoom or over the phone I think you know letting some of you maybe your your um, boundaries down as leaders I think is a really really good way to help kind of relate and show that we're all kind of figuring it out and kind of really related to that I guess is around you know being human, whether that means, you know, giving flexibility with all the spontaneous disruptions that come from working from home around schedules and, you know, kids in the background and Zoom never working to actually, you know, being really caring and and actually responding to to people's concerns with empathy and with time and and really trying to create, as, as Roger, you've talked about, kind of some rituals as a team that actually kind of keep people uplifted and keep people motivated. And I think when it comes to this topic, I think often the simplest things can be the most effective, but we have to actively think about what are those things for our teams and actually make the time to do them um, in a way that maybe we didn't have to quite so much before. Yeah, I I totally agree, Nikki. And I, I think I've seen from, you know, our candidates interviewing with our different scale up clients, I think the ones that the, the leaders that are standing out are the ones that have been vulnerable and are being open about the negatives around this situation and letting their teams be vulnerable too. And I think that that's been a really positive thing to see. But also, as you said, that empathy, that human piece is just so important because we're, you know, everybody is in a different situation. I think that's something that we've all realized through this is that for somebody that may live in the countryside in a big house, there's also somebody in the team that probably is in a small flat in central London and may not have the same work set up. And I think being a sort of a leader that understands and acknowledges those different things and can be there for their team in different ways is so important. Roger, did you have anything you you wanted to add to that from your experience at Tier? 
Yeah, this is this is an absolutely massive one, and it's. I mean, there's James, you hit the nail on the head there with just the word vulnerability. You know, there's no substitute for creating an environment of vulnerability and trust where people can actually open up and and share how they're feeling with one another. And that, I mean, that's the same whether or not there was a pandemic or not a pandemic, right? That's the key to good leadership is being able to create an environment where people can be honest and transparent. But I think it just becomes that bit harder to do in an online setting where you can't pick up on all of the obvious cues that that you tend to be able to see in a physical environment with people that you get to know and understand. And I've had people join my team over the past six months whom I've never met in real life. You know, I've, I've never actually had the opportunity to, to, to look in their actual eyes and get to understand um, how they behave as a human. So, you know, finding out ways to sort of coax that out of them and to get them to be able to, you know, to be honest with me when they're finding things hard and to be honest when they're struggling is is really difficult. I think the key to that, Nikki just mentioned, is, is transparency. And, you know, vulnerability, you know, has to start somewhere. And I'm a firm believer in, in servant leadership. And one of the things, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can serve your team. One of the most important right now is to be vulnerable yourself, is to be out, is to sit there and say, this is hard. Like this, this is hard and I don't have the answers. And actually I'm struggling too. You know, and I, earlier this year, towards the tail end of last year, I had a period of very tough personal circumstances where, you know, I, I honestly just didn't, didn't want to get on a Zoom call. I didn't want to get out of bed and force myself onto another video call. And on my daily stand-up with my team, you know, the one day I just had to stand there and say, guys, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. I know we've got a ton of things to get through, but I can't do it today. And, I, and here's the reason why. And I was just totally honest and transparent. And what was extraordinary is once I did that, I then very quickly, like literally over the course of the next 24 hours, found out about a lot that a couple of members of my team were going through that they hadn't offered up to the rest of the team that they didn't feel ready to until somebody else sort of broke the dam. And then, and then suddenly it was okay to do. So I think just being able to be a little bit, you know, let the boundaries down a bit more than you typically would, because you just can't see things the way you would have seen them before, I think is super important. Thanks for sharing that, Roger. I think it's, it's so important to, for leaders to share those sorts of anecdotes because, you know, I've seen firsthand, you know, especially at the start of the pandemic, I was stiff up a lip, keeping everyone going, being an energizer bunny of positivity. And I realized quite quickly that wasn't actually that useful. Um, and so uh, the, the, as soon as I started to drop my guard a bit and, and, and you know, acknowledge the, the challenges we were facing for myself personally, the team were able to open up and, and, and feel like they could also vocalize how they're feeling so i think it's that's thank you for sharing that and it also goes back to to the business as well i mean we we, we closed a major fundraise in the middle of the pandemic and you know there was there was this huge concern within the organization about you know our runway did we have enough cash were we going to survive you know even though actually from a business perspective we were we were in pretty good shape we you know in some dimensions the the pandemic has actually helped our business to thrive so, you know, we were in good shape, but there's that additional layer of concern and, and, and just, you know, uncertainty that people just don't know how to cope with. So you, you just have to open up more. You know, we, we ended up doing pretty much, you know, with most of the senior team, we did almost daily fundraise updates where we say, you know, we've had this conversation about that conversation, about this conversation, this has gone on. We're at term sheet with these guys and we're doing this, you know, as much as we could, at least, you know, just to keep that, that stream of information coming in a way that we absolutely wouldn't have done under normal circumstances. You know, we just wouldn't have had to share that frequently. And we wouldn't have wanted to, you know, if we didn't have to, to be honest, because, you know, it just starts to wear you down after a while. But that 
additional layer of of information and sort of security that people get from just knowing you know is so important and that's that's both personal and from a business perspective yeah that's that's a really great insight thank you roger joey i wanted to come to you that there's this light at the end of the tunnel now mass vaccinations are being rolled out looking forward at the 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 workplace model of the future how do companies strike that right balance between physical and virtual and and what does the role of the office play it's a it's a topic i am wrestling with myself at the moment with elise uh, coming towards its end um would love to to hear your your thoughts on that yeah thanks Tim. so i think firstly and as everybody already knows things aren't going to go back to how they were. We don't expect them to. I read a study the other day released by Gartner saying that I think 75% of companies were going to shift to a remote culture. I think at the same time as saying that, though, I think we need to remember that that also doesn't mean the office is dead, right? The office is not over. But what I do think we're going to see in this new future of work and this hybrid model is that the role of the office will significantly change. So we're going to go from a place that was a daily place of work and a space where we would go for sort of getting stuff done through to a much more purpose-built place for collaboration and socialising and team building. I think the biggest thing here is what we're seeing across companies is this sort of nervousness and nobody wants to blink first or act first within any of this. Everyone's sort of sitting back and watching it happen. But actually, when we speak to clients and we speak to leadership teams, what we're saying is, you know, it's absolutely key here to be proactive. And you actually need to be tackling this as a strategic company initiative with the aim not of putting something in place that will work, but with the aim of designing and building something that will actually make your company better and faster and better at achieving its strategy than it was before. And like this is the most important thing you can be thinking about at the moment. So I'd love to take you through sort of the three questions that we chat through and we work through with execs and we kick off this project. And then Roger loves to know if these are similar to the ones that you guys are thinking about at Tier. But when we come to the design phase of a project, the first thing that we do is we get the execs together and we understand what is their vision for the office of the future? What do they want from it in terms of an exec? But also, what do they need in a be able to deliver the company strategy? And we do that at the exec level, but then also through an employee survey. At the exec level, we normally do this as a workshop, as we find this a great way to distill out insights from people. But at the, and then from the employees, a wider survey to understand what's worked, what hasn't, what do they want. And just to give one of the outcomes, that they, to bring it to life a bit, one of the outcomes that we often see from execs here is, for example, hiring and scale-up is one of the biggest strategic priorities and plans for the next sort of 12 to 18 months. And one of the things that often comes from execs is that we need an office of the future model that means we can go and access the talent pools that are most important for our strategic hires over the next 12 months. And we want to now, as per our conversation at the beginning of this, we don't just want to access the best in the markets we're in, we want the best globally. And we want to make sure that we can do that easily and compete. The second question then, once we have this this vision piece from the exec and the employees, is really getting into the nitty gritty and understanding as a company, what work can be done remotely versus what needs to be in person. And when we think about this, it's the stuff that makes the company's strategy happen. And it's varying this both across teams within the organization and across the organization holistically. And it's about distilling down across teams, what are the processes, the decisions, and the meetings 
that drive your organization to achieve its strategy and to achieve its objectives. And then working out for those decisions, meetings and processes, what can be done as effectively in a remote environment and what just isn't working, right? And I think that comes back to a lot of the stuff we've talked about before. The one-to-one, a structured meeting with an agenda, for many works perfectly in a remote environment. But teams that rely on workshops and learning and development, et cetera, inside of the desk coaching, that's going to have to be in person to really get the most of it. And particularly there, what we expect both across companies, but within teams of companies, is to see a spectrum. So what works for your engineering team is not going to work for your marketing team and is not going to work for your ops team. And you have to be ready to design specifically for each of those individual teams. The final question that we then look to answer is to look externally outside of your company and say, what are the trends happening in your industry? What are the technology enablers out there that will let things happen? And then what are the operational and regulatory constraints of your company right, that you operate in? And we need to consider. So questions here are, what are your competitors doing? Are you in an industry that has specific regulatory requirements? So some stuff has to be in the office. And for some companies and industries, this is a negate point, very easy. And for others, this is, this is a huge issue in more technical industries. And before I, you know, I stop, hand over to Roger to give his thoughts on how he's tackling it. Just like to say that you know, from our work, what we're seeing is that the majority of businesses are going to design for a hybrid model. But even within that hybrid model, there is going to be a spectrum of options. And that spectrum is going to be within companies, cross company and within companies. And at one end, what we're calling is the scheduled on-site model. So an employee will alternate and be in the office Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to collaborate and Thursday, Friday from home. And at the other end, we have what we're calling connected remote working, where employees may be a certain geographic distance from their office. So let's say a maximum of four hours. And they will come into the office infrequently, once a month or so, for specific designated activities but that it's clear that no one thing is going to suit one organization. And we need to ensure that we are deliberately designing for each organization and for each team. Thanks, Joe. Well, Joe, how does this differ if you have part of the workforce, like I know you do at Tier, that can't work remotely? Absolutely. And that, that, that's uh, one of the big challenges that we face is that we've got such a diverse organization you know we've we've got a tech team of course and you know our tech team is is central to our success but you know in terms of pure headcount that's only 15% of our overall organization you know the rest of the organization is on the ground in our markets you know keeping the wheels turning on our vehicles right so we still have to be very focused on providing the right solutions for the teams that are are doing tasks and doing roles that that simply can't be done at home I think the hybrid model is absolutely where organizations will go. And I do think that there is a range of hybrid options. But one thing that we've always tried to do is to try and make the solutions that we put into place very employee-led. So, you know, try to understand in reality, what are the needs that people are facing? What are the, the challenges that need to be overcome to give them the opportunity to do their best work? So one thing we found time and time again is that, you know, whether we've got marketing teams or, or tech teams or or ops teams, there are people that simply don't want to work from home. They don't have the environment to do it. They don't have the physical setup to do it. They, you know, they have family obligations, which, you know, can't get out of the way. So there, there are always going to be people that, that need a desk. They need somewhere to be. They need a home away from home to do their best work. So we need to be able to cater for that. We also then have a huge number of our teams who 
you know, simply can't do their work at home. You know, they need specific hardware, they need specific tools, they need specific environments, you know, and we've always had to cater for that anyway. I think what we've started to do is to actually start to think about how we can join those things up more. And one of the things that I did well before the pandemic at my previous venture, Echo, was that we started to think about how we could build our operations and our warehouse and our fulfillment centers in a way that would allow working for other members of the team. So how, how could we have our tech team in our fulfillment center? How could we have our marketing team in our fulfillment center? And what we ended up actually doing was creating our, our fulfillment center was in West London. Our office was in East London. And we basically created two office spaces, one in our fulfillment center, one in, a, in an office in Old Street, where people could just migrate between, depending on where they lived, depending on what they were doing on a particular day, because there was obviously more space in the fulfillment center than there was in our office in Old Street. So, you know, workshops typically got held in, in one location, but, you know, head down, I need to focus on this work happened in, in Old Street. So we started to just pull together the design of, of our overall organizational architecture with the focus of how do we give people the ability to do their best work. And I think that just gets accelerated now and, you know, the way we're looking at it is that we're saying, OK, if we're in a position where, as we said at the top of the call, you know, we want to be able to hire the best talent without boundaries. Well, where can that talent sit if they need somewhere to, to be? You know, do I need to have an office in Helsinki now? Do I need to have an office in Paris? Or can we actually start when we get our next our next M&R workshop in Paris? Can we figure out a way that we could actually have an office space that's soundproofed? that's away from all of the other activity that's going on and put our engineers that we're hiring in Paris in that space. And guess what? That on its own fosters a lot of cross-functional collaboration because you know you can very easily be in a situation where those engineers are working on a tool that is being used in the workshop next door, right? So actually just thinking about the whole thing through the lens of how do we allow our teams to do their best work regardless of the setting has just been... Yeah, it's been right, quite refreshing rather than just thinking about we have to have this big office in Berlin, you know, uh, or we have to have this big office in, in London or we have to have this big office in whatever other great European city we're going to base ourselves in. Thanks, Roger. And, and it's uh, a great place, I think, for us to bring today's fascinating discussion to a close. Thank you all so much for contributing uh, your experience and some fantastic insights. Uh, it's been very useful for myself and also I'm sure any of our network that, that listen to this conversation. So thank you all so much. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode of the 40 Minute Mentor. And if you did, please leave us a review and tell your friends so we can continue to bring you awesome interviews from inspiring entrepreneurs and business leaders. Please also feel free to reach out at info at jbmc.co.uk. Thanks again for all your support.